Do you feel like you're the only young person who cares about your Catholic faith? Do you look around at mass and only see silver foxes? We're Jake and Kathy, a young adult married couple, and we're here to tell you, you're not alone. That's why it's time to get Truth Pops. You're going to get a podcast designed specifically for you, a young adult Catholic in a pop culture world. The countdown is on for Truth Pop. We'll connect Christ into culture. At Sif Pop, we're your movie friends. And are friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop writer, Caleb. What's up? Caleb's coming back, of course. Uh, we talked maybe, what, six months ago about TV stuff? We caught up and you were telling me about High Fidelity and it got canceled right after our episode got published. Oh, no. Don't bring it up. I'm still upset about <laughs> it. But yeah, yeah, that was that was a sad day. Yeah, indeed. Very, uh, very sad. But uh, we write SifPop.com for writing movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other interesting movie-related articles. So make sure you check out the website, SifPop.com, to keep up with those. On today's show, we'll talk about a coming, two coming attractions, actually. Uh, we'll give our thoughts on these movies, both of them coming out this week, uh, onto our Sif topic after that, which we'll talk about uh, the recent Godzilla and Kong movies, because the day that this drops, Godzilla v. Kong will drop. And uh, um, so we won't have thoughts on that movie uh, just yet, but we'll be doing Godzilla v. Kong. Uh, or uh, the movies leading up to Godzilla v Kong today, and we'll uh, when we're done with that, we'll explore the B plot, answering the question uh, that I designed for us, kind of in theme uh, with this, and uh, then we'll wrap up with a spinoff. Quick recommend or warn from each one of us. But first, let's get a chance to know our writer this week, Caleb. What do you think is the most? Well, first of all, remind us of what your favorite movie is, and uh, and then kind of along with that, like what is the most important thing in a movie to you? And so, like presumably your favorite movie of all time does that really great yeah okay uh so my favorite movie of all time is the truman show okay with jim carrey i just really love that show or gosh that movie and <laughs> uh the most important thing like what i really love and like look for in movies is like good character development just or, like a well-written character like that has a lot of depth and i think truman show does that really well because i think truman burbank is one of the best protagonist of a movie I've ever seen just in terms of his growth and like what he realizes about himself and about the world throughout that movie. I don't know. Every time I watch that movie, I fall in love with it more. I find something else that I like even more about it. Um, so that's been my number one for quite some time now. Yeah, that's a, that's a great pick. And it, it, again, if character development is that most important thing for you. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely few better examples uh, than the Truman show. So what do you think is the best part about being a film lover? I think I just really enjoyed like the more I've like learned about movies, the more movies I've watched, I've been able to notice like smaller details that um, a lot of people would miss. And like I used to miss um, mm -hmm. when I first started watching movies. Um, I just think it's cool because, you know, there's so many movies where like writers and directors and even actors sometimes will throw in like little details into performances or different scenes that like if you're not paying attention closely you'll miss but they like can influence the movie a lot i just think it's cool like the more mm. into movies i get the more i start to notice stuff like that do you have a like, no i'm throwing you on the spot but do you have like an example of what you're talking about yeah so like this is this recent 
Um, but like in the movie Get Out, I was just watching it, rewatching mm-hmm. it um, the other day. It is Chris's girlfriend. She's wearing like a black shirt, I think. And then when it's revealed that she is like actually racist and, you know, crazy and like okay. the bad guy, her shirt color switches to like white. Mm. And I, I don't like, it just kind of symbolized like her basically showing her true colors. But like the first time I watched it, I completely missed it. And then the second sure. time I watched it, I just kind of noticed that. And it's definitely something that, you know, is on purpose that Jordan Peele would have done on purpose. Like it wasn't an accident. Um, yeah. I just thought that was really cool. Just stuff like that. Yeah. I, gosh, wardrobe is such a great example of that. The, the example that I was taught and shown first was uh, Citizen Kane, how, you know, when he's first starting, well, when uh, uh, when Kane is first starting out, he's he's uh, wearing this all white suit, and then as things get a little bit more morally kind of gross um, for him to do, um, you know, all of a sudden he wears like a light gray suit, and then all of a sudden he switches to more like a darker gray, like a heather gray, and pr- by the end he's wearing pretty much all black, and he's in shadows all the time, like just. The way they use wardrobe lighting, things like that, like, and and that's an obvious example by this point too. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. I love seeing the little things. Like probably like my two favorite little things I can think of off the top of my head are in the MCU when Nick Fury dies, and on his gravestone it says Ezekiel twenty five thirteen, calling back to uh, Pulp Fiction. Again, it's a pretty obvious one, uh, but that's that's a lot of fun to me. And uh, in the in the live action Jungle Book, as they're going into King Louis's cave, they have a there's there's a cowbell laying outside because Christopher Walken with the uh, uh, need more cowbell skit, just kind of a little throwback to that. Yeah. I just like stuff like that just makes me really happy um, and stuff like that. Like if it's done well, um, you know, uh, like a, just a cowbell sitting outside isn't necessarily going to take me out of a movie, but some of you more blatant, you know, um, on the nose stuff, you know, stuff that ha- might appear in something like, you know, the rise of Skywalker is maybe gonna, <laughs> maybe gonna make me a little bit more like, Oh, that, that was unnecessary, but. Uh, so I have one random question for you. It's not uh, it's not related to movies. Just to get a chance to for you to say an opinion outside of of movies, get to know you a little bit uh, more. And that is, uh, if you have the almighty power to close one fast food restaurant, what would you do? Which one would you close, and why? I'm closing Burger King because I don't know why it's there anymore. <laughs> I don't know what it offers. I don't know what it does better than any other fast food place. I don't know for sure if anything they sell there is actually like real. Right. So for that reason, I would close that one down. And I would miss that one the least of any. Okay. Yeah, I mean, out of like the huge mega ones, yeah, I'd miss Burger King the least. Um, I, I am a sucker for um, their onion rings. And you can't get onion rings at something like McDonald's. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a good point. Like, what do they have that really nobody else has? I mean, and like, look, they have better chicken than uh, McDonald's has, and they have better burgers than McDonald's has, but you have to wait like 15 minutes to get your food. Like it's not, it's practically not fast food anymore. And like, it's just not worth the 15 minute wait. And at least where I'm at, there's no convenient Burger Kings. So yeah, that's a pretty okay. Yeah. I would, I would miss that one very little. Like McDonald's is like terrible for you, but like it's always convenient and it's the perfect like I'm driving and need food kind of place. Yep. But uh, and my I favorite, would... my personal favorite is Taco Bell. So as Ooh, long as that one yeah. stayed, I'd be fine. I mean, as long as Chick Fil A stays, I'm happy. But uh, <laughs> for their food, you know, it, it, their corporation and the people that run it, maybe 
I have a little bit different views on, but uh, and their food is just excellent. But uh, if I'm closing one fast food place, I'm going to close Culver's, and I'm going to get a lot of hate for that, and that's fine. I don't know anybody else that doesn't like Culver's like I do. Um, everybody else I know loves it, and it seems like whenever I take trips for work and we're bringing people places, um, Culver's is always a spot that we have lunch um, or dinner. And like, I'm definitely not that person that is going to get mad if we go to Culver's, but it's definitely never going to be something that I choose. It's just decent fast food, but you can't not spend like 12 bucks on a meal. And like, I could spend 12 bucks at a Wendy's and buy half the menu. It's just not worth it. And it's like, it's just okay. I wouldn't miss it at all. Their cheese curds are fine, but they're not anything to write home about. See, I get the kids meal at Culver still. And that usually, that does, that gives me a solid amount of food. You get a little bit of um, ice cream or whatever it's called custard with it as well. That's not bad. Yeah. I mean, I used to get the fried chicken when they had it there, but they haven't had it there for probably like seven, eight years. I could go without Culver because if I want, if I want custard, I'm going to Freddy's. Um, and I'd much prefer ice cream over ice cream over custard. So I'll go to Dairy Queen or a local place. You know, there's always local ice cream shops. Anyway, Burger King and Culver's. We're closing them down. Start the hashtag boycott Burger King. So There we go. <laughs> Just because we said so, not for any other reason. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, uh, we're going to take this time real quick. Uh, I'm going to introduce the Sposkers here on the podcast, let you guys know about that's coming up. That is coming up the, the weekend of the Oscars. Wanted to get you guys uh, start to thinking about uh, start to think about that. So the Oscars are happening on the 25th this year, April 25th. Um, that is one, two, three weekends from now. What? One, two, three, four weekends from now. Um, it'll be on a Sunday night. And what Sif Pop does for the Oscars is uh, the Sif Pop hosts Andrew and uh, Aaron will be doing a live commentary during the Oscars, uh, so that way you can have your side by side viewing. It was a lot of fun last year, great time. Um, there is a couple of writers that'll be hanging out there that might be popping in or out. Uh, myself will have the infamous Frank from Twitter on there. Um, Alex uh, will be there. I think Austin's planning on being there, so it should be some familiar faces. Uh, should be a really great time, and uh, you should tune in if that's your kind of jam. Is that uh, while the Oscars are happening, there will also be a live uh, commentary done by um, the, the Sif Pop crew. So, gosh, it's it's going to be exciting this year. And I think it's also going to be a great year because there's been a lot of smaller scale stuff that's gotten some attention. And that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I saw something that said, like, this year's movies weren't as good. And I don't think that's true. I just think there was, like you said, kind of smaller stuff that normally wouldn't get attention that's getting more this year which i think is nothing but a positive yeah and look i I did at the end of the day too i think that most of the movies that did get nominated would have still got nominated regardless whether black widow came out you know yeah that's how i feel still nomadland minari judas and the black messiah nomad uh yeah nomadland ma rainey's yeah like all these movies yeah all those i think would have been in contention anyway yeah for sure um, and especially in that best picture category, I can't think of any movie that got pushed back that probably would have, you know, bumped it out. So, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm sure you're mad about it too, but I'm just mad at the lack of Palm Springs representation, but yes, I am still frustrated about that, but you know, I'm, yeah. as long as they award the right people come award night, then I'll be, I'll be fine. I'll get over it. Yeah. 
That's true. And uh, and as a another aside, I'll be doing a Oscars or a, an Oscars preview with Robert and Ben on Robert's podcast. Sip Pop Writer's Room is not doing an Oscars preview, but I'll be talk. I'll be doing that, and we'll be for sure sharing the link on Twitter. Um, and I'll give all of my thoughts similar to why Palm Springs was snubbed and why it doesn't make sense that Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya are both supporting actors in Judas and the Black Messiah and all of the uh, things. <laughs> um, but, but let's take a t- t- chance to move on on that note and we'll talk about so. Um, uh, uh, the coming attraction, we'll talk about the French exit. Uh, synopsis for this movie is an aging Manhattan socialite living on what's barely left of her inheritance moved to a small apart- moves to a small apartment in Paris with her son and her cat. Uh, this is directed by Azazel Jacobs, r- written by Patrick DeWitt, um, and stars, uh, let's see, Michelle Pfeiffer is for sure the star, but got some Lucas Hedges here. Tracy Letts uh, is a voice, apparently, only credit. Yeah, that's, uh, the, I mean, that's kind of the big, the big leads. Caleb, what do you think about this? Um, are you do you think that uh, on a scale of opening weekend discount night, uh, rent this movie at home, wait till it's on a streaming service you already pay for? Or are you just not interested in seeing this movie? No, I'm definitely interested. I think like discount night, like okay. I don't, I'm not like it doesn't pop out of me. But I really, uh, this is funny. I really like Lucas Hedges. He's like one of my favorite actors working. I always tell people I that I would want him to play me in a movie. Uh, <laughs> I because I don't, I think it's kind of like probably not as an off the wall pick as it used to be, but I've been a fan of his for a while. But I don't know. I think there's like an honesty to his performances. Every character seems genuine. Like every performance of his is good. Like he's never, he hasn't had a bad one um, that I've seen in any of the movies that I've seen. Right. Um, I, yeah. I think I've only seen Manchester by the Sea and Three Billboards. I haven't seen Lady Bird or Boy Erased. Okay, yeah, those are both really good. Um, he's also in uh, Waves, which came out, um, I think, in 2019 by Trey yeah, Edward Schultz. Um, that one, is. he, I mean, he was good in that. He just kind of, uh, he was such a minor role in that one. There was some other powerhouse performances by uh, like mid 90s, uh, Honey Boy. Honey Boy, he's amazing in Honey Boy as well. I uh, was just rewatching that the other day as well, and um, I forgot how good he was in that. Um, but yeah, it looks like Moonrise Kingdom is the other like big one. Um, yeah. Oh, and let, let but, them all talk. The one that came out last year. So. Yeah. Um, but I really like him. Obviously, Michelle Pfeiffer doesn't really miss. Um, she's amazing, and it has a little bit of uh, Shit's Creek vibes to me. Okay. Like I think wow. this. Like it seems to me like Michelle Pfeiffer's character is going from being rich to like median lifestyle. And sure. I think that storyline is pretty fascinating. Like there's so many different things you could do with it. Um, and obviously with like the success of Schitt's Creek, they like showed how well you can do that. And I don't know that that's going to be able to pull this off in like a movie scenario, but it seems to me that that's kind of the storyline they're going to play with. And I'm interested to see like what they do with that, especially with those two characters. Yeah. I think I'm right there with you. I think I'm at uh, probably go check this out at a discount night. Like is kind of my anticipation level. This looks kind of fun. I, I had some fun with the trailer. My my only real negative is that this just really isn't my kind of movie. And like this is also produced by Fo- uh it's just Searchlight Pictures now, but Fox Searchlight at the time and so uh, I mean they they have traditionally just made some really excellent movies. Uh, some of the best in recent years uh, of like kind of feels indie but has a relatively bigger budget behind it because you know Fox still uh Disney now, but um I feel like they found a balance of the two where they're pretty accessible, but also like not so much. 
So I, I really like Fox Searchlight. I like the stuff they bring uh, bring to the table. I I don't know. This this has a little bit of almost like a, like a handcuffed Wes Anderson feel to it. Like it doesn't quite go full like Wes Anderson, you know, like Grand Budapest Hotel or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it still kind of has that like subdued, wacky and zany vibe to it that yeah. I'm a, I'm a little excited about. Like I I, I think this movie looks kind of charming and delightful. Yeah, no, and especially like I'm interested to see. I never, I don't think I ever would have paired these two actors together. But like right. the more like when I see the trailer and the more like we talk about the movie, I can see it working. Like, yeah. I can see them working well together. Um, so I'm interested to see, like, how their dynamic plays out, like, in the movie. Right. Well, and uh, looking at, again, looking at, gosh, has, I don't know that Searchlight has ever made a bad movie. Uh, Nomadland, Jojo Rabbit, Shape of Water, Grand Budapest Hotel, Ready or Not, The Favorite, Three Billboards, Black Swan, Super Troopers, Slumdog Millionaire, Juno, Napoleon Dynamite, 500 Days of Summer, Little Miss Sunshine. Gosh, what a, yeah. what an excellent filmography uh sideways uh i mean can you ever forgive me i didn't like that one you know it's almost like you put searchlight in front of it and i kind of just want to see it anyway but uh yeah but like yeah like i said i i I think there's enough here that uh that makes me kind of excited which is a surprise because i really thought i was gonna say not interested or streaming based off of the uh the synopsis uh and just like a brief glance at the movie but uh just looks like a lot of fun uh yeah I, I don't know this just looks like a small delightful charming film probably wouldn't like take any awards you know other than like something at like like if it premiered at sundance or south by southwest or something like that like maybe you could win some of those like yeah. indie spirit awards but i i don't know about it's not really an indie so it wouldn't an indie spirit but like you know the the, the smaller film uh gosh what would you i don't even uh, conventions i guess uh might win some, this is this one i don't think this will win any oscars it probably won't even be in the conversation, but like, this looks like a good time. Yeah. yeah. You have any other thoughts? Uh, no, I think I've said my piece on that one. All right. So before we move on to talking about the unholy, our second pick for the movie this week, I just wanted to point out that the French exit has already been uh, released limited, uh, but it will be wide release April 2nd. That's this, that's this Friday. Also coming out April 2nd, this Friday, is a movie called The Unholy uh, that we'll be talking about here for a little bit. This is uh, a synopsis for this movie is a hearing impaired girl is visited by the Virgin Mary and can suddenly hear, speak, and heal the sick. As people flock to witness her miracles, terrifying events unfold. Are they the work of the Virgin Mary or something much more sinister? Uh Caleb, what do you think about this movie? Uh, on, again, same scale, opening weekend, discount night, rent, streaming, or never watch. Where do you think you're going to catch this movie? Um, I mean, I'm. it looks like it's leaning more toward the, like the horror genre, mm-hmm. and that's not really my thing. So I'd probably be like a discount night, but I do like it when they – when I like movies that kind of play with like religion a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think there's like definitely like a avenue there for like horror movies that play with religion a little bit. I think it's kind of interesting. So I'll definitely, I definitely be seeing this one, but probably not opening night. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm almost kind of the opposite of you uh, because, so I also just generally don't like horror stuff part of, and I've been pretty vocal about that here before, but part of that is because I get scared pretty easily. Um, and stuff really lingers with me 
Uh, and so why would I put myself in that situation? Uh, part of it uh, is also uh, just in general, I think most of them were pretty not well made. Uh, and, uh, and so, um, you know, I, I feel like, um, that, that definitely plays into it uh, a lot for me, but I feel like, uh, I'm opposite with you on the ones that play with religious stuff, just because being a person of religion myself, I try to tend to stay, stay away from that kind of stuff because I believe in that kind of stuff. Um, and it just adds an extra sense of realism and puts thoughts on my head that I just really don't know need to be there. Um, but like, I'm not condemning anybody for, for their choice. It's just like mine, my personal choice, uh, is I tip typically don't like that kind of stuff. Um, uh, you know, like a great example might be something like the exorcist. Um, and I haven't seen it and I don't plan on seeing it. Um, even though I know that there are some positive religious themes in that movie, but it's, it's still just like, I, I don't want that imagery in my head. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of my thought. I, I'm going to land on, gosh, uh, I'm going to land on streaming, um, I think. And it's most horror movies are going to land and never watch for me. Um, but mm -hmm. this looks like it's either going to be really good or really bad. And I'm just not sure which one. Uh, where do you want to start? What do you want to talk about first? Well, I actually was going to point out that this from the trailer and everything, it does really look like it's going to either be really good or really bad. And that would be why I would see it, but I would wait till discount night because it's either I'm pleasantly surprised or mm -hmm. I kind of get what I'm expecting, I guess. True. But I, so I do kind of, that does honestly pique my interest because I'm kind of curious to see if they're able to pull it off and yeah. how they're able to do it. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, That's another thing with horror movies that I don't like is that I feel like they're either like really good and like really well done or they're just awful and like not watchable. Sure. And like a lot of times I'm not going to pay for that risk right? because there's only been a couple where I've actually really enjoyed them. Yeah. What are, what are some of the ones that you actually enjoy? Um, I mean like, uh, like Jordan Peele stuff. If yeah. you classify that as horror, like I like yeah, I sure. like Us and Get Out and stuff like that. And then like the Blair Witch Trials, I thought that was kind of interesting with the uh, – I think that one was the one with the, like the found footage kind of theme. Yeah. I think found footage movies are cool. So that kind of like helped make that one a little more um, – and then I like thrillers, but I don't love horror movies. But if it balances that line – you know, where it's just like really exciting and intense, but it doesn't necessarily have a ton of jump scares that I'm going to really like it. Sure. Um, so there, but uh, yeah, those would be the horror movies that I have enjoyed is like Jordan Peele stuff, Blair Witch Project. Um, a couple of the Conjurings are, are pretty good. Not too bad. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I like I've said, Sinister is a great example. Cabin in the Woods. Um, oh, the, the Witch. The Witch. I was going to say that one too. The Witch okay. might be my favorite horror movie that I've seen. Okay, sure. Um, I liked Possessor that came out last year. I thought that was really good. Um, so, yeah, I just uh, yeah, like, horror horror is not my thing. Uh, it's just gonna be hard to get me into into something like that. So, uh, but like I said, I think there there this has some real potential here. Uh, this is uh, directed by, gosh, uh, Evan Spiliotopoulos. 
hopefully I hopefully that's right. Uh, he's got a lot of writing credits to his name. Looks like uh, um, started off doing a lot of Disney stuff, which is really interesting for kind of where where he's at now. But uh, writing Jungle Book Two, Lion King Three, The Three Musketeers, Mickey Donald, Goofy, Pooh, Beauty and the movie. Beast. Uh, yeah, and then and then it, you know he gets to Damn. all these like direct to video sequels, and then uh, it looks like yeah, Hercules was kind of his break into actual theaters, and yeah, Beauty and the Beast, um, story for Charlie's Angels, which is a terrible movie, <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like he's writing uh, the or he has written the uh, the GI Joe um, Snake Eyes movie, which got oh yeah with recently. yeah. And, uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. That is, that's a bizarre. Oh, they're making a second bright. Okay, apparently, I don't know. I didn't um, see the first one. <laughs> I tried to see the first one. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> okay, I yeah. couldn't get through it. <laughs> that's why. That's, but, uh, that's what everybody said. That's why I never tried. Yeah, it. <laughs> but uh, no, that's interesting. That is an interesting career path, especially for a writer to go from doing kind of Disney and like live action Disney stuff to a movie like this um it will be interesting because i feel like writers when they take a bizarre like not a like kind of a bizarre career track like that they either like they got this new gig because they like can actually pull it off or they're gonna be lost in it if that makes any sense like i feel like there's been other writers i'm struggling to come up with some but i feel like there's definitely been other writers that have started doing stuff that they're like like even like jordan peele for instance yeah. He was like only known as comedy, and then all of a sudden he starts writing like like horror movies, and he's really great at it. Which like I, you just I personally I never would have guessed watching Key and Peele growing up. Well, and nobody would have guessed. That's why it yeah. was such a surprise hit. But yeah, and uh, I think of recently. I mean, this is actor, not writer, but Regina King directing One Night in Miami. That was kind yeah. of out of nowhere, and she knocked it out of the water. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a combination of two phrases, you know. <laughs> um, but she she did excellent, and uh, and she, um, gosh, the stupidness of that phrase knocked out of the one. Anyway, uh, uh, this is also interesting because this is uh, this director's first time directing, so he's went from pretty much uh, writing a bunch of straight to video uh, Disney sequels to writing Hercules to writing and directing this movie. So I wonder if this is a passion project of his. Um, and I think typically passion projects work out really well. Um, you know, La La Land being a great example of a passion, of a passion project. Inception, you know, Nolan wrote the screenplay in eight years. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and La La Land was Damien Chazelle's passion and made whiplash just so he could make La La Land, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and Scorsese's Silence, I think, is also a good example. Uh, you know, it's maybe a little underwhelming for Scorsese's passion project. but um, it, And we got, uh, let's see, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. He does a lot of these kind of movies. Um, yeah. William Sadler, um, Carrie Elways. Uh, they were kind of shocks to see in here. And uh, a big shock for me was seeing uh, Katie Asselton in here because I know her as, uh, I think Jenny is her name from The League, which is like one of my favorite shows of all time. And I was just, okay, like, because she's doing other things now. So <laughs> I think she's been yeah. trying to do other things. But uh, anyway, I really like her in The League. But um, but this it looks nothing like The League. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, like I said, most times I think that there's, 
gonna be uh that most of these movies are gonna be never watch for me uh but if it can make it into streaming uh, for for me that's that's pretty high praise and i i think there's something really interesting about this concept uh it's produced by sam raimi which isn't nothing uh especially in the horror universe so um like that's that's something pretty pretty special it's got a solid cast backing it it looks uh i was about to say carrie always uh of course did saw Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting to see, and of course that was like early two thousands. This is so much later, but it's kind of interesting to see him kind of turn back to this genre a little bit. I know Saw is probably more of a thriller, but I do think like the genres are kind of similar. Yeah, yeah, I, I would I would classify the first Saw as a like thriller horror, but uh, but yeah, um, definitely not the ones after the first one. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, seeing him kind of take this uh, take this back. Um, and uh, it looked like he was in the Black Christmas movie recently. Um, he was in uh, Stranger Things. We can't forget that. Although he didn't really have like a horror role in that. Um, no, uh, he was the mayor, right? Wasn't he the mayor? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and he's filming for Mission Impossible 7 right now. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. for him. Right. Uh, yeah. So, and then Jeffrey D. Morgan, like, you know, like we said, he's been in all, all of these things, uh, you know, playing Negan mm-hmm. and, uh, he was uh, the dad in Supernatural and gosh, just a million of these horror tropes, uh, the possession, Jonah Hex. <laughs> yeah. Better to roll those, so. You know, just terrible movies that I never saw. <laughs> um, yep. For the most part. So, um, yeah. So anyway, uh, just, this this kind of looks like a shock to me and i i look i think i think realistically if there was no covid in the world there's a good chance that i would wind up seeing this in the uh in the theater um on a discount night for the mere fact of i think when i am able to see movies outside of my home it helps me separate that um and so if i'm really interested in seeing this movie uh, if there was no COVID in the world, then you know I would probably venture out to see uh, see it in a matinee, just for the purpose of uh, of like as a trying to get that extra separation, trying to get you know somewhere that I can kind of contain my thoughts, and my experience in one place, as opposed to you know bringing it in the place that I spend, you know, especially since COVID, you know, ninety percent of my time, ninety five percent of my time, hundred yeah. percent of my time. Who am I kidding? Uh, I go outside yeah. once a day to check the mail. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But but anyway, I, I I found this to be kind of surprising, and uh, and I watched a trailer at home, and I was totally expecting to just hate it, uh, to just be like, all right, here's another stupid horror movie, and then I went and I saw nobody in the theater last week, and uh, this was attached. To it. I was like, uh, and I, I saw I saw it at home. I was like, oh, that was kind of surprising. I saw it in the theater. I was like, that was a much better experience seeing it in the theaters. It was the same trailer, uh, but I found it a little bit more enjoyable. I was like, Oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm kind of excited about this movie. So uh, mm-hmm. that's Definitely. it. I, I'm, I'm all out of thoughts. Do you have any others? No, I think that's about all I've got. Like I said, I'm hoping that I'll be pleasantly surprised by this. I don't tend to give this genre a lot of chances, but for some reason, this one kind of, maybe it's also cause there's not a ton of movies coming out right now, but uh but uh, for some reason, this one kind of piqued my interest a little more, so I'll definitely give this one a shot. Cool. Yeah, well, uh, we'll wrap up the coming attractions then, and we'll move on to our SIF topic. Uh, you ready to talk about some Godzilla and Kong? Absolutely. Great. 
Uh, before we dive into that, two things. Number one, um, we'll be spoiling the Godzilla, Godzilla versus King of the Monsters, and uh, Godzilla or Kong Skull Island. We'll be spoiling all three of those movies. So, um, you know, there's your warning for that. If you haven't seen any of them, uh, you could be talking about that. But I, I want to start off first of all, uh, Caleb. What is your experience with like monster movies in general, uh, with Godzilla movies, with Kong movies? Kind of what's your experience before um, before these movies came out? To be honest, I didn't really have a ton of experience. I had seen the uh, King Kong movie from like 2008 with like uh, Adrian Brody and Jack Black in it um, mm-hmm. and Naomi Watts. I had seen that. Um, I hadn't seen any like the old Godzilla movies or anything like that. But I've always kind of liked these action movies where you can basically turn off your brain and just watch. Like I just think there's uh, – I don't know. There's something nice about watching movies like that every once in a while. Like, don't get me wrong. There's, it's great that there's like so many movies that make you think and stuff, but it's also nice to watch movies every once in a while where you don't really have to think that much. You just get to watch what happens. Yeah. Um, so the monster movies aren't really my thing for some reason. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's CGI is either really great or really bad. Uh, maybe it's a lot of times they turned out to be, mindless <laughs> so i i had seen the 1998 godzilla when i was a kid but i don't remember anything about that movie and i am just not gonna revisit it um because this isn't like uh i remember loving it like i remember like one still from that movie and probably didn't even like it as a kid so i'm not uh not interested in seeing that one and i had to watch uh godzilla versus hajira in high school because I was doing a movie podcast, and my friend said, this is the worst Godzilla movie, and we're going to watch it, because it was his huh. turn to pick. And uh, if you want to get somebody to like Godzilla, don't show him the worst. <laughs> but uh, but I was really excited when they in, when they were doing the new Godzilla announced that. I was like, sure, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely go see that. Uh, and um, Oh, and I love Pacific Rim. Um, I think Pacific Rim's great. Um, and uh, that was definitely my favorite movie of 2013. And... Uh, I really, really, really love Pacific Rims, and so that's for sure my favorite monster movie. Yeah, I think that's it. What about uh, what about these movies? Uh, did you see them um, like just later? Did you see them um, for this podcast? Have, did you see them like as they came out? Kind of what's your history with these? I kind of like seen them. Mixed. I think I definitely. I think I've seen all three later than when they were originally released. Okay. Um, just because that's just how the time ran out. So actually, the 2014 Godzilla movie. I was gifted it on DVD just randomly. <laughs> okay. Like it, I, I literally think a relative or somebody threw it in. It was probably in like the, you know, $5 movie bin at some store because sure. by this point it was years later and he just threw it in. And mm-hmm. I was like, huh, I haven't even seen this one. And I threw it in and ended up kind of liking it. And then I saw Kong Skull Island a little bit after its release. Uh, basically, I waited for it to get released on a streaming because I uh, just missed it in theaters. And then um, Godzilla, Godzilla King of Monsters, I actually just watched for the first time like maybe two weeks ago. So it's kind okay. of funny that I ended up talking about this here because I had no idea I was going to be. Um, I just <laughs> was on HBO Max and uh, was looking for a movie that I could turn on and watch and – I was like, oh, I never – because I meant to see this in theaters, but I just never got to it. And I was like, all right. So I threw this one on, and um, I kind of dug that one too. So, yeah. Cool. 
Well, uh, well, let's dive into it. We'll start with. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I, I watched them all in theaters, um, and I watched the two Godzilla ones opening weekend. I think both of them opening, like opening night. No, first Godzilla was opening night. I went to an IMAX theater. Kong Skull Island, I saw maybe a week after it came out, and Godzilla King of the Monsters, I saw like maybe Friday morning when it came out on a big screen, but not IMAX. Yeah, I, I haven't. I've seen each of them probably. I think I've only seen the two Godzillas once or twice more each. And I've seen Kong Skull Island several times. So we'll, we'll get there. Let's start off with Godzilla 2014. This is the Aaron Taylor Johnson, Elizabeth Olsen, Brian Cranston, Ken Watanabe, Sally Hawkins, David Strathairn. This is that one. Synopsis for this movie is the world is beset by the appearance of monstrous creatures, but one of them may be the only one who can save humanity. This is directed by Gareth Edwards, um, who directed Rogue One, but apparently there was a lot of re redo stuff there and uh, wasn't necessarily his final cut. And no, I'm not clamoring for a release the Gareth Edwards cut because <laughs> I think Rogue One is just about perfect. Um, so, but this, but this was, he was a nobody when this came out, he had done a 2010 movie called monsters and that's really what got him this gig. Uh, and then he did Godzilla and he did Rogue One and he hasn't done anything since. Um, but, uh, I haven't seen monsters. Um, I've heard great things. Yeah. Caleb, what do you think about this one? Do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? I really enjoyed this one. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I Like I said, I kind of like monster movies, and I like action movies where you just kind of don't have to think a ton. You just get to watch it all play out, and I thought this did did just that. It kinda, I thought this one knew what it was supposed to be, knew what it was trying to be, and did a pretty good job of it. Yeah, I um, I also am in the liked it camp. I'm I'm not in loved it, but I also don't think this is a bad movie. And I want to start off with talking about the the biggest complaint that people have about this movie and how I don't actually mind. Uh, and uh, the biggest complaint is that people are like you don't actually ever see Godzilla until the end fight, and you don't see much of him. It, it, look, it's got to be because budget reasons, right? But he's in it, but he's not in it a lot, and you definitely almost feel like you see glimpses of him, not actually the whole him. And I kind of actually really loved that because it, it, when you see just a glimpse of Godzilla or you see a footprint that he leaves behind, it leaves so much mystery and so much power and so much threat. And look, I, I like the movies that are, Oh, let's just watch a monster destroy things for a while. You know, I love Pacific Rim, at the same time, I kind of liked how this this felt more like a, let's do something different with this timeless character. Let's let's make him a presence that you're like, oh, when this when this comes, it's really going to pay off. And I found it to be exciting and build tension and really led up to this big climactic finale. Because if we would have gotten fights straight throughout, I don't know that I would have felt as much tension. And I I really respect what they did with that. What do you what are your thoughts on that? No, literally. Um, I agree. Like I said, I mean, it's like for the most part of this movie, you don't have to think a lot and you can just watch it play out. But I did like the building. I wrote down that the movie starts a little bit slow, but I felt like it paid off pretty well in the end. Yeah. Like I thought they did a good enough job with it. And that kind of goes along with what you're saying. Like they didn't just come out and show us Godzilla, tell us how awesome he was. Like we, they told us, you know, those like stories and legends and we got little glimpses of him, but we didn't see like the full him until the final battle. I thought it paid off pretty well. And I thought like one of the, my favorite, th- like one of the, f- my favorite things about this movie is the cast. And I thought because the cast was so skilled, they, 
they kept my attention well enough to where I wasn't even that worried. Like, you know, I wasn't even that like anxious to meet Godzilla for a good portion of the movie because I thought the performances and the subtle emotion that they brought to um, the movie was enough for it to pay off in the end. Yeah, I agree. God, I, I, it just, it, to me, it's a much better movie for building tension than it is. And you know, we'll see the polar opposite when we get to Godzilla King of the Monsters. Uh, but it's a much better beca- movie for building that tension, really feeling it, especially for that first experience when you see Godzilla's giant footprint and you only see a glimpse of his tail. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh, this is uh, this is really something, isn't it? Like, I, like this is going to pay off super well. And it did. You mentioned you mentioned the cast really, really leading this just being being excellent. And gosh, the, the, these are just the right people, specifically Cranston and Ken Watanabe. And I also kind of like how they did tie in, you know, Godzilla has always been an environmental message. And I like how they still kind of tied that in, but they didn't force it down my throat. Um, yeah. In the Godzilla versus Hajiro one, it's it's forced on your throat really hard because he's an oil monster and mm. he's um, and he's caught, made by pollution. Um, he's just pollution yeah. has gathered and big forms sentience and fights Godzilla. And it's like, OK, like. <laughs> I didn't need that. I know that we're we're not taking good care of the environment, but I like how they were like nuclear testing sites. They they show like the brief glimpses that they have on like the 1940s cameras of Godzilla. Like it it felt like an Easter egg too, like an homage to the earlier Godzilla movies. Yeah, uh, and you know, I, I I thought I thought all that played out really well, but uh, but I think Ken Watanabe specifically and Brian Cranston are just excellent in this movie. Although I don't understand why they showed the big emotional scene where Brian Cranston loses his wife in the trailer. Like they show him yeah. in distress and you don't really know like what the context is. But as soon as that meltdown starts to happen, as soon as they, inter- as soon as they introduced, he has a wife, you're like, Oh, you know, his wife's going to die. Um, yeah. And frankly, I think, you know, the movie kills him off a little too soon. Um, yep. I was going to say that. I wish we had gotten a little more of him. Cause like you, I thought he did a really great job. Yeah, and also I also just really love like Sally Hawkins. I was so happy when she showed up in this movie. Uh, yeah. she's one of my she's one of my favorite actresses working, and I just feel like Godzilla is just not her typical project. So I was kind of surprised to see her in it, but I was really happy that she was in it. Yeah, I I totally echo that. Uh, I thought she was great, and I look I like Elizabeth Olsen a lot in this role, and I like Elizabeth or Aaron Taylor Johnson. Um, they're not nece- they're not I wouldn't say they're necessary. Yeah, like. It, it, at least both of them together, but like they're, they're nothing to like stand up and celebrate, but they're also like not annoying, you know, yeah, not like, I, I not thought, like humans and transformers, you know? Yeah. I thought they kind of held their own. They did their, they did their job. Like you kind of said, they weren't really annoying. I don't know that they like added a ton, but I thought they did a pretty good job. It wasn't, their roles weren't necessarily meant for them to, you know, steal the show. I thought they just gave pretty good performances. Yeah, yeah, and I think you take any uh, most other actors and actresses, and I don't think that the movie is as good um, for it. Like, because if you write these characters, you know, again, you uh, you have them written this way, but then you know, you you cast p- different people. You know, like this is this is a fundamental difference between this movie and like I just the Transformers movies. Um, and look, it's entirely the way that those human characters are written, and the entirely the direction that the director wanted to go with the Transformers movies, which makes them so ridiculous and stupid and comical and 
you don't really like any of them. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but like I I felt for these characters. I wanted them. I wanted them to live by the end of it. Uh, yeah. And uh, and sure, like obviously Godzilla is the most important part of this movie, and uh, it, they're really just avenues for us seeing and experiencing Godzilla. And uh, and we and we do get both aspects because we have the uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson character who's kind of learning and coming to grips with his also his own emotional baggage because his dad has been you know insane for however many years. Uh, and so, but he will also see him see Godzilla and all that and understand like. He's the first person to understand that Godzilla is a good guy. And then we also have the perspective of Elizabeth Olsen, who's the nurse at the hospital, who's just like, I'm terrified and, and all this. And gosh, I love Elizabeth Olsen so much. She, yes. she is excellent. She has definitely Amazing. grown as an actress comparing this movie to WandaVision, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What do you, I feel like I've been talking for a while. What do you, what do you want to touch on next? I mean, that's, that's basically all I have for this one. Uh, we can go on to Kong Skull Island. Okay. Um, I have, I have one more note. Um, okay. and, and that is the single most epic moment in this movie and maybe in this whole trilogy of movies so far is the moment where Godzilla um, grabs the the Muto and breathes fire straight down his throat. Yep. I thought that was amazing. <laughs> you just because you like see something's about to happen and like, you know, my my friends that were big Godzilla nerds, you know, were like. Oh, it's happening! And like me, it's like, oh, something is happening. Oh, something yeah. big is happening. And you yeah. just see him like open the Muto's mouth, and you just like <laughs> breathe that blue fire straight down his throat, and you're like, <laughs> so, gosh, that was a uh, such an amazing moment. I really love yes. that. Still, still get get giddy anytime that comes on. But <laughs> yeah, we can we can move on to Kong Skull Island now. Yeah, uh, let's see. Synopsis for this movie is. Uh, after the Vietnam War, a team of scientists explores an uncharted island in the Pacific, venturing into the domain of the mighty Kong, and must fight to escape a primal Eden. All right, Caleb, do you like this movie? Love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? I'm like between like it and think it's just okay, but okay. I'm probably closer to like it. I don't like it as much as Godzilla, no, the 2014 Godzilla, um, but again, I enjoyed the cast of this one. I thought some of the action sequences were pretty well done. Um, I just thought the pacing was awful and it was a little too, I think you could have cut, I think I could cut half an hour off that movie. I am in the loved it camp. I really love this movie. Like, I'm not like firmly in loved it. This isn't like top hundred favorite movies of all time, but I really do think there's something special about this movie. And I, I, here's the other part. I do agree with you. This movie's probably a little too long. Um, There's Mm -hmm. definitely some character choices that don't make a lot of sense. And I think the pacing is a little off but i think there's something so great about just everything else about this movie um specifically the cgi the character designs um that are the enhanced not non-human designs and the yeah. fact that i genuinely feel like this was a horror movie and i just yeah. kind of wasn't expecting that and i don't like horror movies but i really thought was a gr- that was a great way to go for this I did enjoy that little twist to it. I just wasn't expecting that. Sure. Um, that I just, little, like turn like that's that was really well done. I will say that probably that scene where they're in the helicopters over the the land and I think Spirit in the Sky is playing. 
Yeah. And all of a sudden, King Kong's massive fist comes out of the sky and throws like a tree or something through a helicopter. That scene was awesome. And the tone just shifts so fast. That yeah. alone made me like the movie. But yeah, I think that's really well done. Yeah, well, and so uh, you mentioned the soundtrack. Man, this is the most like Vietnam War soundtrack you've ever heard. Yes. <laughs> any any song that's ever played in a Vietnam War movie is in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but let's see. I want to start. So, so I want to start with that horror aspect. Um, there are several scenes that really terrify me. The one I remember the most is being in the theater, and again, not really know what's coming, and they're walking through what you think is just giant bamboo sticks. And then it turns out to be massive spider legs. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm already scared of normal size spiders. And so I'm, I'm literally quivering in my seat. I went, I went and saw this movie alone. I'm literally quivering in my seat because I'm so scared and I'm shivering and I'm shaking. And, and then like to see the like leg come down and impale this guy, which it, it was awesome. It's really it's frightening. It's exciting. It's everything that I wanted you know this movie to be and i was just like oh okay oh I'm, i don't want to i don't want to be here anymore somebody somebody please do something about the big giant bug and uh and like i remember just being so scared about that uh and then the other is uh the other ones are just in general these skull cra- uh skull crawlers are just so terrifying yeah i was gonna I say give, they look creepy I, there's so many props to be given to the people that designed them because they're a weird amalgamation of like seven different creatures that are all terrifying, but mm-hmm. they, they are frightening and they're, you know, they're fast. They're ruthless. They're smart. They're not just, you know, mindless, but uh, there's the scene where they're in the like no man's land and they're like, act. The, there's like the, the gaseous stuff that's coming out. They all, they all have to wear gas masks and all that. And they're like using that to advantage. They're using like a lack of visibility, their advantage. Like, they're strategizing. They're so sm- like they're smart. All that. I thought it was. I thought it was great. And I and I love the idea that Kong is already king here. Um, that uh, yeah. there's the uh, you know Kong is king because there were several of uh, giant monkeys and the skull crawler uh, skull crawlers came out and Kong you know given the backstory from John C Riley and how Kong uh, Kong brought them all away and so Kong is revered as king by every other creature except for the skull crawler because he drove him away and you know so they all bow to him and you're going to come stomp on his turf and he's upset because they're trying to wake the last skull crawler or they're inadvertently waking awaking the last skull crawler you know yeah gosh uh i i just i love this movie it makes me feel great like it doesn't yeah. make me feel great. it makes me feel excited mm-hmm. um, and i will say another fun thing with the horror aspect was they gave Samuel Jackson the opportunity to just ham it up as much as he wanted. And he absolutely does. And I, some, sometimes I think it pays off and other times I thought he was going a little overboard, but it's Samuel Jackson. So you just kind of live with it because it's Samuel Jackson. And right. Yeah. That's, that's probably the one element of this movie I could do without is the whole crazy general, you know, is, is here to kill doesn't want to leave war because all he's ever known is war. Uh, it's yeah. very, it's very reminiscent of heart, heart of darkness stuff, apocalypse now stuff. And it's intentionally that way. Um, yeah. But it's, it's maybe a little much. Um, and I think yeah, that's the felt a little much, but like I said, uh, I was like, it's Samuel Jackson. What else can you do? You know? Right. Right. And I feel like it's also the, um, mo- the movie's lack of pacing probably is 
best exemplified in those scenes. Yeah, um, absolutely. That, because, was, that was the other thing I noticed. Well, and, and it's so jarring because we go from some sort of scene like, you know, the, the, the spider scene that's just terrifying and high intensity. And then you move to like a slow psychological thriller. It's like pick it's, it's almost like pick a lane and go yeah. for it. And I'm, and I'm with the, with, with whichever one you want to do, but you can't have your cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. So, and the kind of the other kind of character choices that don't make much sense. There's, uh, there's some of them that really just don't um, specifically, the moment where the guy tries to sacrifice himself to kill the skull crawler and he holds the grenades and then the skull crawler just whips him with the tail. And yeah, I was always so confused what that was for. Right. I I was was, like, that was such a waste. I don't know why they did that. Like, first of all, does he really think that two grenades are going to kill these, this thing? Yeah. I was going to say, King Kong's struggling with this thing and he just grabs a couple grenades and he's like, I'm going to do it. Like, well, and then, And then for it to be so, like, did he not take the opportunity, like, did he not think about, well, what if this guy doesn't eat me? Like, Yeah, did he not think about throwing them, or I don't even know. I don't know, I don't know what he could have done differently, but yeah, that was, that just didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, so, I mean, that that's specifically the moment that I was just like, okay, this doesn't super make a lot of, like, I don't know. Um, that's That's one that I never really understood. Uh, and there's just some of the other individual character motivations, things like that in, in times of crisis. And you're like, why did he make that choice though? And you can, you can always, for some of these, you could just write off, like they're terrified. They're in this wholly new environment. They don't really have much control over their environment. It's just instinct at this point. And yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, fine. I, I get that. Um, so like, I'm willing to write off a lot of it, but not, not that guy's tried sacrifice, complete fail, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, Kong has an excellent execution of this skull crawler where he just, you know, rips his mouth wide open, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, and like, yeah, I think he rips his bottom jaw straight off. Right. Yeah. It just rips it. Basically it looks like he skins it. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. It was sick. Yeah. And this CGI is terrific in this movie. Uh, you know, Kong himself looks excellent. And the skull crawlers look excellent. All the monsters looked excellent. You know, um, it works. It really works. I mean, uh, what else do you want to talk about? <laughs> well, this one actually got nominated for visual effects Oscar. If I okay. believe, if I'm, I think I'm right. I think that's that. right. Yeah, I think that's but, right. Uh, yeah, it definitely deserved it. That's the other thing I had is this one was really well done visually. Mm-hmm. Like the whole, whole movie. Yeah. I mean, I like the human characters in this one too. Uh, although I, I kind of wish they were written a little bit better. Like I feel like Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson are both great for what they're doing, but I feel like the, the script kind of restricted them. Um, yeah, no, I think instead of like giving us just like a few pretty in-depth characters, they gave us like a ton of like characters with a little bit of detail. Yeah. Cause there's just so many characters that they give you a little bit of backstory and half of them they kill. Right. In the movie, which like I guess like they wanted us to get have an emotional attachment to him or something, but yeah, no, I agree with you. I part of me wishes they would have just focused on building and advancing a few of the characters, like Brie Larson, Tom Hiddleston's characters, instead of you know giving us little backstories for like fifteen guys just for ten of them to get killed. Right, and I I don't know how necessary either of these characters are. Like I said, I I enjoyed having yeah. them there. It's just they're really written as stock characters. They don't get terribly too much to do other than be 
Tom Hiddleston is essentially like a like an Indiana Jones, but better like type. Yeah. Like he's meant to be that kind of that kind of person. You know, he's not as clunky as Indiana Jones because um, mm-hmm. he's, he's not as silly. He's a, he's just a straight up serious, uh, but adventurer, creative things like that. And Brie Larson is just meant to be kind of a little bit better than a damsel in distress, you know? Yeah. Um, Brave, like kind of, but I I wish they would have been written, given a little bit more to do other than just be young, hot people, you know? Yeah. Um, What do you think about the John C. Riley stuff? I, that, that like him in that movie surprised me. That like threw me for a loop. I just never would have guessed that they um, would have cast John. Like when I was, I he doesn't show. He shows up like pretty late into the movie. If you had told yeah. me after like an hour of that movie that John C. Riley was going to show up, I, I don't know if I would have believed you. I th- probably would have thought you were joking. I thought he did a pretty good job with it. I mean, he usually doesn't take on super serious roles, and I think yeah. uh, at times he maybe got a little bit goofy. But I think that's just him. I think he's just naturally funny. Um, but overall I thought he did a pretty good job, um, with the role. Yeah. I think he is just excellent in this. I think he's so perfectly cast, uh, because we need to believe that this guy has been, you know, unable to communicate with the, with the inhabitants of the world, uh, pretty much. And, uh, and that he is stranded and has been alone for so much of his life on, on the island because he, you know, last what forty years he'd been on the island or something like that. Like we need to be, be believe that he's been pretty alone for almost forty years. You know, and I know that he befriends the the Japanese pilot and 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 all that, and then that dies. Like so, like however, whenever they die, you know, afterwards, you know, like we need to believe that he's a little bit silly in that way. And so John C. Riley was great, but I wasn't expecting the emotional stuff that he brings. And yeah. I thought he did it well. Mm-hmm. It's nothing that's going to make you like cry or it's nothing. That's yeah. Gonna make no. you, like, you know, think, Oh, this guy deserves an Oscar. But like, I was like, Oh, okay. That's yeah. All right. Yeah. No, so, uh, for sure. I was like, okay, he's acting. He's getting to act a little bit. He's actually getting to use some of his dramatic acting. Um, yeah. just a little bit, not too much, but yeah, for sure. Um, he did kind of have that like loony, like that loony, vibe to his character i thought he did that well and then like you said he had enough emotion to make it um feel a little more real and stuff yeah i thought he did a good job great uh i think i'm all done with stuff do you have uh do you have any more notes or is that it Uh, no that was all i had cool all right well let's do it godzilla king of the monsters uh this movie is uh synopsis real quick is uh, the cryptozoological agency Monarch faces off against a battery of god-sized monsters, including the mighty Godzilla who collides with Mothra, Rodan, and his ultimate nemesis, the three-headed King Ghidorah. All right. Like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, think it's just okay. I'm going to say like it as well, but this okay. is so close to me just thinking it's okay. I'm just indecisive. Okay. But uh, I thought the visuals were pretty good. Once again, I like the cast. I like that they brought back Ken Watanabe. Sally Hawkins was back for like five minutes <laughs> and then they killed her and I was sad. Um, but I also thought uh, Chandler and Farmigo were really good um, in it as well. And Millie Bobby Brown, of course, is a pretty good actress as well. So yeah, no, I thought I liked it, but once again, I thought it was too long and um, there was just so much going on. It was almost too much. Yeah. 
Yeah, when I when I left the theater, I would have told you I love this movie. But I would have also told you that doesn't mean it's a good movie. I just had a great experience with it. Yeah. Um, and, I've, and I've seen it once since then. And I will say that I like this movie. I'm on probably the low side. I liked it. Um, but I still have a really good time watching it. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where I land. So it's that weird. Like, it's not a good movie, but I like it. Um, like, you cannot make the argument that this is a good movie, but you can make the argument that I had a good time with it. For sure. Yeah, I was going to say, you, it's, it's really hard to convince somebody that this is a good movie, but you could easily convince me that this is a fun movie because it is. It's a fun yeah. movie to watch. Like, you just watch yeah. and think get destroyed, monsters fight. Like, it is what it is. And again, I think visual effects are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, spe- specifically, um, the effects on Mothra, seeing that in a, in a large screen format was just incredible, especially the scene where she comes out of her cocoon under that waterfall. Like it was just absolutely astonishing. But uh, the way I describe this movie and I've said it before on the podcast, this is watchable trash, um, is exactly how you would define this movie. Um, because, uh, gosh, there's, there are so, there's so much about it. You're right. It's overlong. And you're right. There's there's too much going on at once um, because you have the whole like bad guys led by uh, Tywin Lannister, and you have the Vera Farmiga character being on their side. Surprise twist! And you have the Kyle Chandler character getting back into the mix, even though he hadn't been going on for a while. And you add the Millie Bobby Brown stuff, and and then you add the the echolocation stuff too, and like and then you add where's Godzilla, and you add the the people fighting over like can we control godzilla and and then godzilla dies and you have to revive like there's so much going on in this movie that is is just ways to set up tension and and fight scenes and i i just think they pay off aside from whenever a fight starts uh, there seems to be something that obstructs your view uh, and we we switch to the characters and i get it's a budgetary choice i get it but you you set it up like you clearly got that shot like i it, this is not done in the same way that godzilla happens where you just see the aftermath and you're like so something big happened here and some you know that's intense and i want to see what happens now it's just more like you you see glimpses of it and it's like i okay i would rather like you did this a different way yeah um, so it it is distracting when as soon as the fight starts you you don't really get to finish it I don't know how you fix that without giving this movie a $600 million budget. Yeah, I was about to say, it it would be impossible. or Not impossible, but yeah, it would be really difficult. I'm also upset that like the best, maybe the best line in the trilogy so far, they gave away in the trailer. I'm still upset that uh, when Ken Watanabe, they ask him, you're going to make Godzilla our pet? And he says, no, we would be his. Yeah. Such a dope line. I don't know why they gave it away in the trailer. I was so mad when I heard that in the trailer because I was like, I know they're not going to have a cooler line than that in this movie. So I was yeah. little, I'm, still, I'm still upset about that choice. Yeah, for sure. What do, we, what do you think about the whole Ken Watanabe sacrificing himself with a nuke to revive Godzilla? Um, I mean, that definitely was on the cheesier side. I could see that one. I thought that was kind of predictable too. Like, as basically everybody around him, like, from the past movies were dying. And I'm like, and, like, as it's happening, I'm like, I don't think my guy Ken has much time left in this movie. And then I think it's a little bit of a plot hole. You can't, they can't figure out a fire and nuke one way. Doesn't make much sense to me. But 
Um, overall, I guess, uh, I mean, it was a decent ending for his character, but he was also like one of the best characters. So I kind of wish he had lived, uh, selfishly, but. And, and like, look, it just doesn't make any sense why he had to be the one to go. I mean, he's. Yeah. I'm telling I'm, you're saying, you're telling me there's nobody that's less important than like the right, expert like, on Godzilla that you can send in there. Like not to be morbid about right. it, but you're but telling like, me nobody- that they don't have a soldier that they could send in or something like he's supposed to be this like genius expert on the monsters right. themselves. They're like, all right, send him in. Like he's yeah, going to die. He, but He absolutely knows things about get Godzilla that other people don't. And he yeah. clearly understands Godzilla the best. So why is he the one to go sacrifice himself? And I think they try to explain it away in the movie. Like nobody else could set off the nuke or whatever. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can't remember. Um, it's been probably six months since I've seen this one. I just didn't have time to get around to it. Yeah, like I watched it a couple weeks ago. I'm pretty sure, yeah, there was like some sort of way to set it that only he knew how to do or something. I don't know. But yeah, it was a kind of a cop-out. I wish he would have lived. That didn't make much sense to kill him off. Right, right. It's, you know, and there's you're right. They're surrounded by soldiers. I'm sure somebody would have volunteered. But it's, it's just the fact that he did it first. And they just want to get an emotional... Yeah, for that character, and they want to try to draw motion from you, and I just, it just didn't work for me. All three uh, of these movies have one of those scenes where I feel like the character didn't need to die. And we've honestly talked about it. The Godzilla yeah. 2014, Brian Cranston. I still don't understand why they killed him off so soon. I mean, was, I still think killing him off was the right choice, but yeah, no, but I think it should have been later. But I thought they tried to get that emotional reaction and they tried to do it a little too soon. And then in Kongsko Island, when the guy had the grenades, and I don't know if they were trying to get an emotional reaction, but when he just got tail whipped into the side of the mountain, that was just kind yeah. of a letdown. I was like, all right, I don't know what that was for. And then this is another one. Yeah, I really wanted him to live. It didn't make much sense uh, for his character to go in with the nuke. Right, right. So there's so much not to love about this movie, but I, th- I just think it's so fun and uh, again visual effects are excellent and yeah you know there's definitely some stupid stuff like after godzilla get re- gets revived and then you know they go fight in boston and uh with uh with all the the monsters and uh millie bobby brown character like talks to him and essentially revives him by it's so silly um, yeah it doesn't make any sense any sense and then even, like, Vera Farmiga's character definitely could have, like, made it back to the car. Like, they definitely didn't have to kill her off either. I mean, I think – you're right. They didn't have to, but at the same time, I think but it was she was a like, war criminal if she lives, right, so I guess. Right. She's going to be held in Guantanamo Bay, Bay you know, for, or Alcatraz or something like that for the rest of her life. Like, cause yeah. she's a – she is a terrorist. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was almost, like, die nobly – get your on-screen redemption and don't have to face the consequences, you know? So I, I think that was definitely it, but yeah, I, I agree. Um, they didn't really have to kill her off and, you know, she's still a terrorist. I still don't excuse her actions just cause she did one good thing. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. Um, and also like just in general, I felt that like, holy crap moment when the Tywin Lannister group, like when they activate all the like, everything around the world and all of a sudden you have all these mutos popping up and you're like oh 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 like i knew that we were gonna get mothra rodan and Ghidorah in the movie 
I didn't know that there was also going to be so many more that they don't even talk about. Yeah, for that sure. come off and you're like, expecting that oh, many. we're screwed. <laughs> we're s- humans are screwed. I thought it was awesome, and again, Godzilla fighting King Ghidorah, ridiculously cool. And that ending shot with Godzilla standing on top of a, mo- a mountain and everybody looking up to him and bowing to him and just yeah, he, he that was he's officially awesome. king of the monsters here. Yes, it was just. Super cool. So much of this movie shouldn't work, but it just kind of does. <laughs> yeah, they just pull it off enough for it, it to be like a fun watch. Yeah. Um, if you're watching it, this trying to think about it, like yeah. if I was watching this trying to think about it, I would hate this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was just like, I just kind of want to see Godzilla be Godzilla. And it's like, yeah. so I left the theaters and I'm like, that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, to, to quote that little kid from The Incredibles, that was totally wicked. <laughs> so uh, that that was me at the end of of seeing this movie in theaters by myself. I don't, and I don't necessarily know how it holds up on rewatches. Like I said, I went from loved it to kind of liked it. Yeah. Uh, so, but there's also the difference between like watching it at home versus on a big screen with super great sound system and all that. So yeah. All right. What's your favorite? Uh, let's let's hear your ranking. My ranking. I got I got 2014 Godzilla at number one. I got Kong Squad at number two, and Godzilla King of Monsters at number three. Wow! So you're just going straight in chronological order. They get worse as they keep on coming out. That was not um, my intention, but yeah, basically, I guess. <laughs> I'm going with Kong Skull Island as the best of these three by far, and then I'll go with uh, King of the Monsters, and then I'll go with uh, 2014 Godzilla. But, like, again, if you're going by thinking about it or anything like that, then completely different order. But just just how much I enjoy them. Uh, yeah. That's what we're going with. But, okay. you know, the first Godzilla is not necessarily, you know, it's a tension-building movie. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. like, uh, we're going to have tons of fights. But Cool. Uh, one more question before we move on. And, uh, Caleb, are you rooting for Godzilla or Kong? I am rooting for Godzilla. I am Team Godzilla all the way. All right. Why? I mean, the simple answer is I think he's cooler, but uh, I I don't know. I just I like Godzilla. At the end of Godzilla King of Monsters, I was like, there's no way that King Kong is taking him. There's no way that anything else is going to take him down. Like he, This is the sure. coolest monster there is, so I'm Team Godzilla all the way. All right. I'm Team Kong. I'm King Team Kong. I'm Team Kong. Team, it's weird because Team kind of sounds like King. I'm yeah. Team Kong. You're going yeah, to probability over sheer size. Yeah, and like, look, Godzilla's the cooler creature, but I'm going based off the fact that I just, I liked Kong's movie better than the Godzilla movies. And it's almost like if they are actually going to kill off one of these two, which I don't think they will, or at least permanently kill them off. Um, if if they do actually do that, it's, it's almost which one would you rather have more movies of? And Man, I just Kong Skull Island was much better than either of the two Godzilla movies to me, so I I picked Kong. I'm not firmly in the Kong. I'm just Kong. We'll find out on Wednesday. Yeah. So, are you checking this one out, like on HBO Max? Are you going to go to a theater? Are you going to wait uh, for it? I'll probably end up watching on HBO Max. I don't think there's a like an IMAX near me. Yeah, I'll, I like I said, I'm going opening night to IMAX. Um, even though it's hitting HBO Max, I. I will use HBO Max if I want to rewatch it, um, but I I really want to get that sound quality, uh, get that huge screen experience 
um, see this movie in a theater of people that I want that end game experience, you know, where something really cool happens. It's just, yeah, go get it. You know? Yeah. I, I, I want that. All right. Well, let's move on to the B plot and the, in honor of Godzilla versus Kong. And I know that Godzilla versus Kong has been done before in the sixties. Um, which other famous things do you want to see versus another thing? So um, could be, Person versus person, creature versus person, creature versus creature. What are the things that you want to see? And uh, I'll let you start. I think you have one more than I do. I do. Do you want me to go through all of them real quick? Uh, do you do one, and then we'll go. We'll do back and forth. So you start. All right. Go and- this one is kind of broad, but I would just love to see the different versions of like movie versions of Batman face off. So you want to see like Batfleck versus Keaton versus Bale versus. Versus all those. I don't know. I just think it'd be awesome to see them all uh, face off, especially like the three most recent because of how different they are. Yeah. Like, I just feel like the interpretation of um, Baffleck, they're not super subtle. He's like huge (laughs) and crushing things. And Bale was like more about like the subtlety. And we only have two minutes worth of, Banson, but he beat the pulp out of somebody in the trailer already. So I just think it'd be fun to see them face off. All right. That's fair. Uh, Mine honestly aren't super creative. Um, I have one that I really like, uh, but other than that, like it's, it's, it's things that I've seen other places that I just think I would like to see on the screen. So uh, I got a big screen. So again, not super creative. And this is, this was so hard for me. Because there's been so many team ups, or I thought about like, what if you did like Transformers versus King Kong? But like, that's what Pacific Rim is, and like, mm-hmm. you know, or, or like thinking about like Alien versus Predator would have been so cool. Well, they did that, and look, it sucks, but they did that. <laughs> and uh, it's like thinking of all those like, you know, you could do. I want to see Batman versus Superman, but like they did that, and yeah. I, I I had a hard time coming up with these. So I'll start off with Avengers versus X Men. I, I think would be awesome. And I think uh, the MCU is just prime set up for, for, for doing that in the same way that they kind of did civil war. It would be a great way to introduce the mutants, uh, Avengers versus X-Men. That's what we're, we're going to do. That'd be awesome. Yeah. What do you got? Okay. I'm a big basketball fan. Michael Jordan versus LeBron James in their primes one-on-one. So we can finally answer the question, settle the debate. LeBron James can kick Michael Jordan's butt and all of the, all of the haters can shut up about it and we can just go on about our lives because I've been hearing about this. I've debated this with so many people over who would win. I would just love to see them face off when they're both in their primes. If you, if you say so, I'm going to disagree with you. I'd say Jordan will take it, but uh, oh, man. also also take that knowing that I'm not, I don't watch basketball. <laughs> so, uh, and then the, and then, yeah. And then we won't have to talk about it anymore. Who's the goat? <laughs> but like, this is so like, this is the interesting thing though. Like, it's clear that Tom Brady is the best quarterback of all time, right? Yeah. And it's clear that that Wayne Gretzky is the greatest hockey player of all time. That's undisputed. Yeah. And and it's clear that I don't I don't watch soccer. Beckham, Ronaldo, uh, probably like Messi or Pele or something, but okay. Yeah, no, I don't know. Something about Jordan versus LeBron, it's just like so polarizing an argument. And like the this is the closest I think that there is for an argument because nobody argue like this is this is the closest that I think you could actually like have between two athletes um, in in a sport 
again, I don't know Sakasa. I'm just thinking of the names that I recognize. But, <laughs> but yeah, like it, nobody's gonna argue that Gretzky wasn't the greatest hockey player of all time. And Brady mm-hmm. is clearly the best quarterback of all time, since he has more Super Bowl rings himself than most franchises do. Yeah. Uh, so these are just so close and I, I disagree with you, but again, that is not an NBA fan talking. No. Yeah. I honestly, I honestly think when LeBron James is done playing basketball, the LeBron fans and the Jordan fans will honestly have to come to a consensus that will just agree that they're tied because I don't think either player has a, like a, I don't know. I just feel like nobody's ever going to admit that one's better than the other, like, all out like there's never going to be a consensus thing um so but yeah i still well and you you make the argument like i think lebron has more points than jordan right i don't know if he's passed him yet but he's about to he's pretty close well but but then also people counter with okay well michael jordan has so many championships and lebron does it's like if LeBron would have been playing with Pippen and Rodman too, like yeah, no, it's just it's just tough because then like the competition they played comes into into the argument when they were in yeah. the like, primes because and, and like definitely make the argument that Michael Jordan was much more a team player than a he was definitely like a superstar and would take advantage of any opportunity, but like he knew he had great talent on his team, so he utilized Pippen and and Rodman and all the other yeah. players that he. Like, you know, like he he got a chance to use them. Where I I think for sure he's at least a better team player, and that may have hurt his overall statistics. But it helped his overall game, and it helped his team. Anyway, we could stop about this because, <laughs> like I said, I'm pretty inexperienced talking uh, about that. But so I'm gonna go with just different team ups from uh, the Injustice comic book. You know, I already did an event uh, Marvel one. We'll do the DC ones and. Sure, I want to see Avengers versus Justice League, but I know it's never going to happen. <laughs> so we're, we're going to go with Injustice. And uh, specifically, there's two fights that I picked out of the game. And that's uh, there's a fight in the first game where it's Green Lantern versus Yellow Lantern. And it's Hal Jordan is both of them. And it's just insanely cool because you have the same person, just different motivations and and different abilities it's fascinating, um, and I, I think for sure that was the best fight of that game. Uh, obviously, you have your Batman and Superman, you have your Batman and Deathstroke, and you know Batman and Bane, and all that. Like some really great fights, Batman and Joker. But man, Green Lantern versus Yellow Lantern was for sure the highlight for me. And the one I picked from Injustice Two, uh, there was a Joker and Harley Quinn fight that was amazing because Harley Quinn was a protagonist in Injustice Two, Joker still an antagonist, and it was just. I never thought about pitting those two against each other, but yeah, like, sure. Let's see. Uh, let's see a Joker and Harley, like Joker versus Harley. That's what I've got. Yeah, I these last two are pretty creative, pretty off the wall. Um, I was just kind of bouncing ideas around my mind. They're more jokes than anything. This one is Agent Cody Banks, played by the Goat Frankie Muniz, versus <laughs> James Bond. I don't know what sort of fight it would be, or like if it's like a a stealth competition, but I just love to see them compete in something because you got James Bond and you got the young protege, agent Cody Banks and um, agent Cody Banks yeah. was pretty sweet back in the day. Uh, I grew up <laughs> watching those, those two or three movies. Uh, but yeah, I just think that I also just think that'd be funny because they're so opposite. That would be interesting to say the least. I thought about putting Bourne versus Bond, uh, but oh, that would be a good one too. But like Bond definitely has more 
gadgets and yeah, I was gonna say Bond is at an advantage already because he actually has a team supporting him. Bond's like basically on his own on the run, like the entire his entire like movie series. Well, and and so Bond is uh, Bond is gadgets and um, and like like mostly detective work, like trying to piece things together. And sure, he can hold his own in a fight. But yeah. Bourne is just a machine when he's actually fighting. So, like, it wouldn't even be a competition. You put Bourne against any of the Bonds, and you, all at once, and he'd still take them all down. Yeah. Uh, so, so that that was why I hesitate. That's why I didn't do that. But this is this would be at least a, a fun matchup to watch: Agent Cody Banks <laughs> versus. And my last one, I'm gonna go with uh, John Wick versus Neo. And, um, I did that because I, so I thought about this initially started with Rama from the raid movies and I wanted to put him against somebody, but again, like nobody could stand a chance against him. He's just awesome. Uh, or, you know, you, there's the difference between like hand to hand combat and gun combat, but both John wick and matrix are both gun combat as well as fist fights. And, uh, and like they're, they're a good combination of the two or using guns as part of your fist fight. I, so I feel like uh, I feel like that's probably a better matchup, and it's just a bonus that it's uh, Keanu versus Keanu. But uh, but yeah, we'll go with uh, John Wick versus Neo. I think would be uh, would be pretty fun. Um, yeah. Alrighty, my last one is a, a cooking competition, a bake off <laughs> per se between oh, Remy the Rat, okay. Ratatouille, and Paddington the Bear. If you've seen Paddington two. You've seen how Paddington gets the prisoners going in the kitchen, making yeah. the marmalade and whatnot uh, while he's in prison. And obviously, we know Remy the Rat can cook, so I'd love to see them have like some sort of cook-off, bake-off. I'd be interested to see how that turned out. Gosh, this is so awesome because you just wrote Remy versus Paddington, and I was like, okay, <laughs> like, <laughs> sure. But I didn't even think of like versus not in terms of physical combat. That was just not where my mindset was at all. And that totally changes the game. And I yeah. was just thinking physical combat. And gosh, I'd love to see a Remy versus Paddington bake off, you know? That's what I'm saying. That'd be awesome. Uh, that, we'll officially crown that as the one that I want to see the most. Awesome. <laughs> uh, Re- Remy versus Paddington in a bake off. Uh, com- com- coming to- coming to theaters 2024. Let's hope so. so. <laughs> Man, now I think I'm gonna do have to do this B plot again, but like not physical combat, you know, takeoffs, <laughs> uh, intellect, and because the only thing that's similar is I thought about putting a detective against a different detective. So I thought about putting like uh, uh, Benoit Blanc versus Hercule Poirot. I thought about mm-hmm. doing, but like, what's the benefit of that? Who can solve a case the fastest? Like, yeah, because I thought about doing something like uh, Sean Spencer from Psych and Adrian Monk from Monk. Yeah. Because they're both kind of weird. Like, they see those little details that a lot of people miss. But I was like, I don't know where that ends. Like, I guess, do you give them the same case and see who solves it first? Like, I don't really know. Yeah, for some reason, Remy the Rat versus Paddington came to me. And I was like, oh, that'd be awesome to have them in a bake-off. Yeah. Well, and, you know, if Paddington gets all the prisoners, then Remy gets all the other rats to help him out, too. So Yeah, there we go. I mean, Remy might have his own restaurant by now. He might have a staff with him, too, to help out. So. He might have a little bit of an advantage, but we'll see. All right. Well, Remy the uh, Ratatouille versus Paddington, Dawn of Justice coming out <laughs> 2024. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, one last thing we got to do. We got to do the spinoff. Uh, Caleb, what is that one thing in pop culture that you really want to tell everybody to watch or to avoid? Um, I want to tell everybody to watch 
I got hooked on this docu-series on Netflix called F1 Drive to Survive. And I didn't know very much about Formula One going in. I have uh, my little brother is like a big Formula One fan. Somehow he just like stumbled upon it because it's mainly it's mainly an international sport. But Netflix does this really awesome series. They've got three seasons. They basically follow all the teams around for an entire racing season. And it's cool because you get to see a lot of like the smaller teams that don't get shine. You get to see like what they're dealing with, with their lower budgets and how they're trying to cope with that. And then you get a little bit of like what the bigger budget team's doing. And they interview all the drivers and uh, they just dropped the third season on Friday. And um, me and my brother sat and watched it in a day. It's like 10 episodes, super easy to binge. And you get like some like really personal stories from the drivers. I don't want to give too much away, but in the third season, there's a um, a really bad crash. And they okay. thought that the drive, one of the drivers was going to die and he ended up living. And they have like a testimony about his like story in the crash in this third season. And it was insane. Like it was, okay. it was uh, crazy. Um, but yeah. I'm now a big Formula One fan. I'm like looking forward to the next season. I know all the drivers now. I know all these random details that I have no reason of knowing that I don't. I don't think I will ever use. But because they do such a good job with this show, yeah, I know all this random stuff now. But yeah, it's so good. Even if you don't like racing, like there's enough human human stories, um, emotional tie-ins that uh, you can find something to like in this series. Cool. Yeah, I. Uh had never heard of it and probably would have never checked it out, but now I'll at least, you know, be interested in it. F1 drive to survive. You said that's on Netflix, right? Yep. Cool. There you have it. Uh, Caleb, do you want me to talk about a documentary or a movie? Um, let's go movie. Okay. I'm going to talk about the movie that I wrote for the BEC this week. You said you're not really into like those one man army kind of movies, like the John Wick things, but uh, I got to tell you about sudden death. This is a 1995 John Claude Van Damme movie, and that's all. Like that's really all you need to know about it. But the like in order to know whether you're on board or not, and I am not a John Claude Van Damme fan. Like I didn't grow up watching Time Cop and things like that. I really don't think I've seen. I think like Expendables Two was like my intro to John Claude Van Damme. Um, so I'm I'm just not a not a JCVD fan, and uh, this is you could tell this movie the scenario is Die Hard at game seven of the Stanley cup finals in hockey. And like, it's, it's just ridiculous. And again, it's not a good movie. It's definitely set in 1995 where there's some cheese. I had a good time. I, it was my kind of dumb and it's so this, so the vice president is attending this game. And so some terrorists take over his VIP box because um, they want money that is fro- frozen in accounts by the U.S. government. And they, t- they take them hostage and they're like, you have by the end of the game. Otherwise, we're going to kill you. Like, so, so get the president on the phone and get him to transfer the money and stuff. And like, look, obviously this kind of stuff is never going to work out. Obvi- like all these movies where, the, you know, like these people always get stopped and whatnot. And, mm-hmm. But this gets so ridiculous to the point where... John Claude Van Damme winds up playing the goalie for like 30 seconds in <laughs> the game seven of the Stanley cup finals. And look, another ridiculous thing. This takes, this is 1995 movie. Well, the 1995 season was an NHL lockdown like or lockout. Like 
and not only that, but they have the Blackhawks and the Penguins versus each other. Look, mid-90s Blackhawks and Penguins were not going to be going at each other in the Stanley Cup Finals. So, you know, there was much better teams in the mid-90s. But anyway, just... <laughs> it's so dumb, but I had a good time. Look, just know what you're getting into. Know you're getting into a 1995 Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. And as a hockey fan, I thought they did hockey well. And what more can you ask for? So. Yeah. Some really creative kills because he's a uh, he's you know he's not like Bruce Willis and Die Hard where he's you know always got a gun on him like sometimes he creates his own devices and you know takes a toy squirt, squirt gun with uh like lighter fluid and and a lighter and like sets some dude on fire you know like does some really creative stuff and it's it it's pretty fun to watch yeah sudden death um, I think it's streaming on Showtime but I I bought it. It wasn't on sale, but I was like, well, this is an excuse to write about it for the BEC. So. There we go. Um, well, that's a wrap. Quick reminder, this is Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. If you're interested in writing for SifPop.com, you want to get in contact with, uh, with us, send us a question to explore during the B-plot. You can email us at, email us, sifpop at writersroom.com. Writersroom at sifpop.com. Wow. <laughs> writersroomsifpop.com that should be in your um, episode description you can also get in contact with me via twitter or letterboxd at schweitcastle if you want to support the show help out some costs we pay for out of pockets such as fees equipments and rentals you can venmo me at schweitcastle and please don't forget to leave us a review on itunes it helps out the show more than you'll ever know but kayla that's uh, all the things of ways to connect with me in the show what about you what if what people want to continue this conversation about lebron versus jordan where, they, where can they do that Oh, yeah. Um, my Instagram is at K-W-O-L-T underscore 50. And then my Twitter and letterbox is at real Caleb W. Caleb settled the K um, because my parents are weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Hey, it's been awesome catching up with you and uh, yeah, talking about all these monster movies. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. And, Absolutely. Uh, uh, but as you know, it's award season. So we got a million movies to watch and a million movies to write about. Yes, we do.